Well, as you know, um, last week I announced that we were going to just have a break from uh, our series in John's Gospel. We've reached the halfway stage and uh, uh, we'll, we'll have a two-week break as far as my sharing is concerned. And I just wanted to share on this subject of um, which I'm calling wholeness, health and healing. Just a two-part series and I hope it'll be helpful. And this one is entitled, Let Christ Fill Your Heart. Um, healing, we have to say, is a big subject. Okay, so I'm not going to cover everything in this two-part series. Um, there's no one-size-fits-all. You know, when we, when we say the problem is all this, then it's wrong to say that, because it's such a big subject. And uh, often people just... So it's, it it's all comes down to our faith. If you have faith, you will be healed. If you don't have faith, you won't be healed. Well, there's no one size fits all. There's no one answer to everything. And so we just need to understand that. In fact, uh, I'm going to look at two different aspects that are not normally mentioned when we look at the subject of healing. And the first one is this morning on the subject of wholeness. You know, the word salvation is a translation of the word sozo, which means wholeness. Wholeness in every part of us. When, when, when Jesus saves us, he saves us in every part. He comes to minister to us completely. And uh, so that's what we need to look at. And God usually works from the inside out. That's the way God works. We, we tend to approach things from the outside in. We talk, for example, about body, soul, spirit. We work from the outside to go into the, the very center, whereas the Bible speaks about spirit, soul, body. Amen? Well, God works from the inside. When, when uh, people talk about change, often in counseling, behavior modification uh, is often brought into focus, and, and that you know, is, is talking about change from the outside, trying to rearrange our lives and uh, uh, clean up our lives from the outside. But God works from the inside. He transforms us. He brings truth into the inside of us, the very heart of us, and then our whole lives come into alignment with what is truth, with that truth that has been established in our heart. Now, sickness and health also often take place from the inside out. Amen? We are what is called a psychosomatic whole. The word psychosomatic, as you will know, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, is a combination of two Greek words, suki, which we get the word psyche. Suki means the soul, and soma is the body. So basically, psychosomatic illness is saying that the state of the mind is affecting the health of the body. And then if we can change the state of the mind, what's going on with our thought life and so on, then it can have an impact upon our health, physical health. And that's a fact, that's a medical fact. So people who experience sustained negative emotions may experience physical problems. That's why we're talking about health in this session rather than healing. Um, prolonged periods of emotional tension can lead to hormonal hypersecretion and if result, uh, persisted in, uh, result in sickness. That's a medical fact. Uh, that's why that title of the book I wrote is, uh, chose that title. It's not what you eat that's making you sick, but what's eating you? What's going on on the inside? I believe in, in, in eating well and nutrition and so on, and these things are important for our health. 
But if we just concentrate on that one thing and yet there are unresolved issues that we carry for a long time, then it's going to impact negatively upon our health. So that's why we're looking at it. Now, one of the things that I mentioned in that book, I spoke a lot about, was the heart. Because the Bible talks a lot about the heart. In fact, if you, if you are a Bible student and you take a concordance and look at the number of times the heart is mentioned, it's amazing. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God speaks about the heart. He's very concerned about the heart. Why is that? Well, we read it here. You could summarize it here in Proverbs chapter 4 and 23. We're told, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Everything flows out of our heart. God works from the inside out. Now, the Hebrew word for heart is the word leb, leb, which means the inner, the center, or the middle of a thing. So when we talk about the heart, we're getting to the very center of our being in terms of our life or our living. Whatever is in our inner being can impact us in different ways, including our health. That's why God always wants to get to the heart of the matter. That's why we're urged to keep the heart, to guard it with all diligence. In fact, in the verses before, okay, immediately before that verse in Proverbs, we read this, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Get the right things in your heart and guess what? You'll see some results physically in terms of health improvement. Okay? Now, the human brain has the capacity to produce between 3,000 and 3,500 chemicals, hormones, and endorphins, the happy hormones. Some of those of these produce healing for the body, whereas others can cause the body to deteriorate. And so the way we think can determine what chemicals or hormones the mind produces. For example, love, and joy build up the immune system. If we have really positive emotions, filling our hearts with those things, and you know, often we can choose what we fill our hearts with, you know, what programs we watch, what, what we read, and uh, especially online, you can look at a lot of negative stuff, but you can look at a lot of uplifting things. And as I say, you know, the, uh, we're body, soul, and spirit, but the, the danger is, and, and sometimes we do this in preaching, we, we compartmentalize, this is the body, this is the soul, this is the spirit, but we forget they're all interconnected. They're all related. They've one flows from, from one to the other. And, 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 and if our heart is full of love and joy, it actually builds up the, hum, the immune system. Incidentally, on that point, let me say this, um, I've noticed that with legalistic people and religious people, there's very little joy, very little joy. They're, they're, they're over serious all the time. No room for fun, no room for laughter, and, and they come down on you if you're, that's why I just, I just manifest when I'm around religious people. <laughs> because, you know, um, 
there's a place for filling our heart with joy. You know, Jesus was the happiest person on earth. Did you know that? The Bible says that. The Bible says that God has anointed him with the oil of joy above his fellows, above his contemporaries. He was, I know he was a man of sorrows as well. He had you know, experienced both emotions, but he was a happy person to be with. Amen? Amen. Amen. He was happy. We have a happy saviour. Amen. And, and, and you know, people that just can't lighten up and, 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 and enjoy life, they have to be serious about everything and, and checking up on you and correcting you and, and all this sort of stuff, the religious stuff that goes on. It's not, you, you find there's no joy in their lives. And, and uh, that's, that's not good. It's not a good environment to be in. But love and joy can actually build up the immune system. What does the Bible say? A merry heart does good like a medicine. A merry heart does good like a medicine. Um, even, even, who, who watched that movie, Patch Adams? Anybody see that? Um, I know it, was, it wasn't actually an accurate adaptation of the, the real Patch Adams. There was some, a lot of, they just wandered as they do with these stories away from what the real facts were. But, but the bottom line is this, the real Patch Adams believed that if you want to, if you want to um, minister to people's health, you, you can't just concentrate on the body only. It has to be the spirit, it has to be the soul as well that, that has to be uplifted because they interact together. That was his major point. That, the, the, the movie was based on that premise. But through toxic thinking and negative emotions, the immune system automatically plummets, leaving the body vulnerable to attack. So you've got those two things there. Whatever chemicals and emotions we are releasing through our thinking and, our, uh, uh, and the way that we're perceiving things, they can either work for good or they can work for bad. And, and, and you know, I, I think it's, it's not good to be too spiritually intense because we are body, soul and spirit. Let me say that. You know, I, uh, I remember hearing a saying once which I thought, yeah, that's a good saying. We need to be naturally spiritual and spiritually natural. Amen. God has created us with a body, a soul, a spirit. He's, he's placed us in a material world and he wants us to enjoy things. You know, our soul is enriched by many things that we experience in life. If we, if we focus on good things, you know, if you focus, I mean, I, people say, what's your hobbies? My hobbies are actually comedy and music. I love good music, any kind of genre. Apart from Hawaiian music, of course. <laughs> That's different. That's, don't go there. Your, your health will go. Okay. That, that are the things I like. I love nature. I love. I mean, just look out the window there. Just, just for a moment, and look back this way. You know, when I go for a walk, I look at the trees and I look at the beautiful blue sky and the, the, the sunrise, the sunset. You just look at these things and, and let it soak into your soul. It does your soul good. And God has given us all... Well, you're encountering God when you do these things, you know? And, and, and it's doing your soul good. You're, 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 you're nourishing your soul, which is going to ultimately build up your immunity and affect your health. That's what I'm saying there. Now, 
Let's talk about the heart because, as I said, it's, it's mentioned hundreds and hundreds of times in the Bible, but how many sermons have you heard on the heart? I bet not many. I haven't heard many. And you know why? Because I think that a lot of preachers don't really understand the heart. What is the heart? I'm not talking about the physical you know, organ that pumps blood around our bodies, but what is the heart when the Bible speaks about the heart? Some confuse the word heart, cardia in the Greek, and soul, which is, as I said, suki. The soul consists of the mind through which we think, the emotions through which we feel, and the will through which we choose, the decisions we make. Okay, so that's your soul. That's you, actually. That is you. They are your thoughts. They are your emotions. They are your choices. That's you. Now, whilst we encounter life through these three primary faculties of the soul, yet the heart is the place where we store the most significant experiences of life. That which causes us most pleasure and that which causes us most pain. You, you cannot store everything you've ever experienced in your lifetime. You forget things. I forget things. I mean, people have often come and said, do you remember when? And I look at them and say, no. I can't remember everything. I'm sure you've done the same, you know. Um, in fact, I don't know half of you. Who are you? <laughs> Seriously. Um, but but the, the things that bring us pleasure. You know, when I was young, uh, living in, in England, I, I hated the cold with a passion. I hated it. And I used to fantasise about living in a country like Australia. I used to... It was my dream. Huh? I thought it might have been Hawaii. <laughs> What's that? I thought it might have been Hawaii. Hawaii. <laughs> Wash your mouth out. And... Uh, I used, to, I used to dream about it. And then the day came when, when you know, through God, God opened the door and it was definitely his will for us to come here. God spoke to us supernaturally and it was definitely his will. And I remember landing, it was in May. It was raining. Everybody was wearing long sleeves, you know, hoodies and that sort of stuff. I was in short sleeves and I didn't feel any cold. I thought... I felt like kissing the tarmac when we arrived here. So this is it, I'm home. And, and that pleasure, which was over 30 years ago, I've never forgotten it. I've never forgotten that moment, the joy that filled my heart. It, it, I, I mean, yeah, this is going to be my country now. I'm going to live here and enjoy this beautiful climate. And, and those sort of things you never forget. You've had experiences like that. You know, you can talk about many experiences and they've registered. You, you've gone to places for holidays and, wow, that was great. I want to go back there because it stayed in your heart. You see, it's, it's stored, in, stored in your heart. But there's also experiences that we, are, uh, we have that are painful and traumatic, some of us. You know, I mean, uh, we were just talking um, earlier about um, this movie that's come out about, um, what's it called, about freedom? What's it called? Sound of Freedom, which is about child trafficking. Well, see, I had an abusive childhood, and so that sort of thing uh, is not always good for me. It triggers those, those memories, and, and, and so because they're registered there. And when, when I see a movie about kids that are going through 
a difficult time, whether it's you know, sexual abuse or physical abuse or whatever it is, breakup of a family, I often cry because it just triggers on those emotions that are registered in my soul. And so that's what the, the heart is. The heart carries those emotions that are most pleasurable and most painful. And that's why the Bible calls it the storehouse. That's why I love this definition of the heart. The storehouse, this storehouse influences and determines the way we live our lives today. Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Your heart is storing up treasure. Every day our heart is being programmed by what is happening in our lives. This often takes place in these two areas. First of all, in the area of negative thoughts and emotions. We, we call these um, mental health issues today. And it's a big subject. Why? Because a lot of people are going through mental health challenges. This is what the book of Proverbs says. And isn't it wonderful how God's word thousands of years ago knew these things? Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. And so when we worry and, and excessively and we, 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 we worry daily and, and it goes on and on, eventually it leads to depression. It affects our mental health. Okay, um, another area, the second area that I want to talk about is in the area of relational conflict. Things that happen when we interact with, with people, they, they, if, if they're not dealt with properly, they stay in our hearts. They stay in our house and they affect the way we live, uh, the way we, 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 we um, move and so on. A sound heart, is life to the body, but envy, the way you look at another person, envy is rottenness to the bones. Now, um, I'm going to share something which I've shared before, but I found this very helpful in terms of understanding how emotions, uh, sorry, yeah, how, how emotions can stay in our heart through relationship conflict, okay? And the reason I choose these two things is, I don't do counselling now, but when I used to counsel, these were probably the two areas where people would most come for counselling. In the area of, of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, and all those things, fear, phobias, and that sort of stuff, and relationship problems. They're the two things that um, confront people. How relationship conflict can affect the heart. You've probably seen me share this before. It starts with an offence. Now, Bible, the Bible says this. Jesus said this. It is impossible, but that offences will come. So understand that. You and I will always be offended by someone or other. If you don't want to be, just stay home. <laughs> get your food delivered to your door. <laughs> Take the phone off the hook. Don't watch the TV and certainly don't go on social media. And then you probably won't get offended. You might have other problems. <laughs> Seriously, it is impossible that we can live in this world without someone or other offending us. Okay, now that leads to anger. And anger can go further. It can become resentment. And resentment can finally end up as bitterness. Now, let me explain these just a little bit more in detail. The New Testament Greek 
uses different words to distinguish different kinds of anger. The word orgizo means to provoke to anger, including justifiable anger. You know, anger is not necessarily a sin. That's why Paul says, be angry but don't sin. You can be angry without sinning. In fact, I would say there are times when it's sinful not to be angry. You know, like, get, get back to this issue of child trafficking. I hope we're angry about things like that. That thing, that, that's wrong. It's, it's to be angry against something that is morally wrong is justifiable anger. In fact, that word is used for God. God is angry. God doesn't sin. God, and, and it's also, also used for Jesus. Jesus was angry with the Pharisees, the hardness of their hearts. So, Nothing wrong with anger up to this stage when it's a, a response to that which is wrong. But it can easily degenerate into another form of anger. In the Greek, it's called paragismos. Paragismos, which is a settled, continuous state of anger. This is what we call resentment. Now, both are used in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry, or gizo, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let this anger settle in your heart. Paragismos. So the word resentment, we use that word resentment, is from the Latin satir. Satir means to feel. So resentment means to feel again and again and again and again. To keep on feeling. It's to nurse a grudge. An example of that in the Bible is Herodias. You remember Herodias? She was the one that married Herod and uh, she shouldn't have because he was already married. Or she was already married, sorry. And so he was committing adultery and John the Baptist told him, you can't have her as your wife. She's already married. And, and so that troubled him. You know, there was a little bit of... Um, uh, a spark of conviction within him and he probably you know unloaded that onto Herodias you could see he was depressed about it he was not happy about what John said and, and, and she held it in the Bible says she held it against John she had it in for him we would say and it's the, it's the Greek word um, enoko which means to hold something in against someone that's resentment to, to keep on feeling this thing uh, until eventually, you know what happened? She had, his, she had him beheaded uh, because of this resentment that she held on to. It's like, it's like watching your life, a, a, you know, a painful part of your life, and then you stop the, the video, and then you, you wind back 60 seconds or so, and you, you watch it again, and, and, and again. <laughs> And again, and you're feeling it every time. You're going through it every time. Some people do that in their hearts. They hold painful experiences in their heart and they churn within them. They're actually churning up on the inside. They can't, that energy cannot go anywhere. So what happens? It's making the body sick. It can do. Not in every case, but it can do. Now, while resentment is anger which is cherished or nursed, bitterness is anger which has reached another level, a level that overflows and infects others. You see, look at these verses here. It speaks, Paul speaks about those whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. This, this 
pain, this, this resentment, this hatred, is so full, it's overflowing now. It's, uh, it's coming out of their mouths and it's actually infecting people that it has no business. It's not their business. Now, you see, there's, there's grace when, when you're offended. You're, there's grace when you're the offender. There's no grace for the onlooker. And often when, when people are offended and they go and talk about it, that infects people to whom it has no, it's not their business at all. It has nothing to do with them. And, and the offended and the offender can get over it quicker than the one who's infected because there's no grace. It's not, you know, so often it's good to say, oh, whoa, you know, not my business. Go and talk to that person directly. Do what the Bible says. Go and talk to that person. Here's another example. The, the writer of the Hebrew says, looking diligently lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this what? Many become defiled. Here's another example in the Old Testament. I love this, the way, the, the, the practicality of the Word of God. Under the law, you shall not go about as a talebearer, talking about other people, among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother. What? In your heart. See, it's coming out of the heart, this talebearing. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I love the practicality there. He's saying, look, you've got something in your heart. Your brother's offended you. There's a way to deal with it. What is that way? Go and speak to them directly. Don't speak to everybody else but them. Don't put it on Facebook. Go and talk to them and get it right between you and them. And that's what Paul says, if you want to go back to Ephesians chapter 4, where we quoted from earlier about don't let the sun go down in your eyes. It speaks about speaking the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. You can do that, you know. Uh, but we don't do that today, do we? Some people say that uh, silence is golden. I say it's yellow. <laughs> it's just, uh, just, just leave it. But yeah, you, it's okay you, to leave it as long as you can get over it. But if you're carrying it with you, if it's registered in your heart, then it's not good. It's not good. Jesus came to change our hearts and to fill them with his life and his salvation and his love, sorry. He came to change our hearts. You know, Jesus addressed the real problem. The real problem is the heart. You know, the Pharisees thought that they could tick off all the law. They were keeping all the law. Then Jesus got into their hearts. Didn't he? So you, you say you've never murdered anyone? Murdered anyone? You hate this person. And, and, and you, you would throttle them if you could. In your heart, you hate them. You've murdered them in your heart. You want to kill them. You say you've never committed adultery? There's a dozen women every day you undress. That's what's going on in your heart. And Jesus got right into the hearts of the, the Pharisees. And that's why they hated him. He said, out of the heart flows murder. And out of the heart comes adultery and fornication and thefts. It's, it's all coming out of the heart. Jesus addressed the heart. Because the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Amen? That's why salvation affects 
the heart. Hallelujah. One of the great blessings of the new covenant is that we receive a new heart. Praise God. The promise under Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What does that mean? It means that the heart of every Christian is now a sphere of divine influence. God ministers to the heart. God works in our heart through the two agents of his living word and the Holy Spirit. We've all experienced that. I think we sang that in a beautiful song. Lord, renew my heart. God changes our heart. He changes, he comes to live inside us and he changes us from the inside out. And, and uh, there's, we'll, we'll just talk about that in a moment. You know, Jesus came to heal us in every part. I, I was just reading this week, in fact, I think somebody quoted it in their prayer. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, where um, Jesus healed. First of all, he went to heal that little girl that was dying, Jairus' daughter. Do you remember that? And as he was going, a woman who had an issue of blood came and touched him. And, 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 and when she touched him, she was instantly healed. But she wanted, to, she wanted the whole thing to be secret. Why? Because she should not have been out in public. She was unclean. She certainly shouldn't have been in a crowd touching against people. And so she just wanted, to, if I could just touch his garment, I'll be healed. And then the virtue went out of him. And, and so Jesus said, who touched me? Didn't want to expose her to condemn her, but basically saying, hey, no shame. You can, you can be here. You can be, you're healed in every sense. You're healed. And then he went on to heal that lady, uh, that little girl, sorry. And then um, uh, he healed two blind men. Two blind men that were following him around. They ended up following him into a house and, and he healed both of them. And then he healed a, a, a man that had a, a dumb, deaf and dumb spirit. And you know, the thing about that is that the, the Pharisees used to cast out demons, but they, they had this belief. The other one, this is where this belief came from, that you had to know the name of the demon before you could cast it out, you see? So that would be difficult, wouldn't it? For someone who's dumb now, you know, probably the demon thought, got you this time, have I not? And so Jesus came and without knowing the name, he cast the demon out. And probably the guy that was set free, he probably looked at the Pharisees and said, by the way, his name was Henry. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but then the Bible says, he went on and a great multitude came and he healed the sick. And then it says this, when he saw the crowd coming, the multitude, he had compassion on them. And that word, compassion, it's a word that was never used before. It, it means to have compassion in the deepest part of the depths of you. He had, he had deep compassion over the multitude. It's like if you go through classical Greek, up until that point, that word was never used. And so it's like those that wrote the Gospels had to invent a new word to explain this is not just compassion, this is compassion that goes beyond anything that we can talk about. Jesus, you know, people look at this 
even even Christians, they look at this community and say, God's going to judge, you know, look at all the evil, you know, this in, uh, artificial intelligence and uh, all this stuff that's going on, and blah, blah, blah. God, God, God's going to judge this world. No, God wants to save this world. God looks upon this generation with all its hang-ups and its misery and its suffering and its crime and its, you know, all the stuff that's going on, and he loves this generation. He, he has compassion. He sees what sin has done, how it smashed humanity, and he has compassion. You know, we, we, we looked at um, John when, when, uh, when in, in the book of John when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You remember? And he, and he looked, uh, and the Bible says that when he saw the weeping and the sorrow, Jesus wept. He groaned in his spirit, you remember, it was like a, a horse snorting, angry about what sin has done, but then he, he just burst into tears, he shook, and he wept alongside those that were weeping. That's Jesus today. He has incredible compassion, and, and, and he knows what's going on. He knows that the problem's in our hearts, and he wants to come and fill our hearts. And that's what salvation does. To change our heart. Let's quickly move on. There's a difference between Christ dwelling in our spirit and in our heart. Okay? Because every Christian, Christ has come to live in their spirit. That's what it means to be born again. People who are dead spiritually, it means that they have a spirit, but, but, but God is not there now. God vacated the spirit in Adam. Amen? So people are born in sin. They're born dead spiritually. When they're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside their spirit and will never, ever leave them. Hallelujah. Praise God. Uh, the Bible speaks about the spirits of just men made perfect. The Holy Spirit has joined with our spirit the life of Christ and we are perfect. We are one with him. He'll never leave us or forsake us. But our heart, as I've just been explaining, is different to our spirit. Don't confuse the two. And, and Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why, why would he pray that? Because he knows that if we live according to the flesh, what else is in our heart? There's hatred, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's resentment, there's anxiety, there's depression, there's fear. All these things, worry, that come to live inside us. And he's praying that Christ will come to dwell in our hearts. How? Through faith. It's not a work, it's through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints... What is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge? Wow. Isn't that fantastic? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love is focusing on the love of God that will enable Christ to fill our hearts. If we focus on how much he loves us, why I'm so dead set against um, condemnation and religion and legalism because it fills the hearts of God's people with fear. Fear of God, fear of judgment, fear of punishment, fear of things that are going to go wrong because they're not doing everything right and so on. And, and so Christ is not filling their hearts, but rather fear is filling their hearts. So I'm so against it. But as we come together, it says that we can experience and comprehend with all the saints. That's why our fellowship is important. 
What is the width and the length and the breadth and the height? To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. I get educated every week I come to church and fellowship as I see Christ in each one of you. And, and I hear just little aspects of your testimony, your journey and so on. I just see the love of God, the grace of God. And, and that blesses me, that ministers to me. And it goes on to say the consequences of that is what that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow, now you get the, all the fullness of God dwelling in your heart. You tell me that's not going to affect your health. <laughs> Man, that is going to affect your immunity. That's going to affect your health. You say it's impossible. That's why Paul says, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. By focusing on Christ's love for us, he dwells in our hearts and fills them. And so this enables us to deal with those two things. First of all, the negative thoughts and emotions. Now Jesus is here ministering to the disciples, telling them how to deal with those negative emotions and thoughts of fear and anxiety. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Now, if you listen to the news and you go on social media, you'll be told, you, this, you've got to worry about this, cost of living, cost of living, cost of living. Is that right? You're not going to be able to cope. Well, listen, let me tell you something. He's brought you this far by his grace. Amen? He's brought you this far by his grace. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or the bills you've got to pay, nor about your body and what you, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Just think about it, friends. We have a Father that loves us and cares for us. He's our Father. He's dealt with the biggest problem, our sin. Amen? Is he not going to care with the smallest problem? I love this little... Uh, poem, I think I've read it to you before, said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Amen. They don't worry. They don't say, it doesn't mean they don't work. Of course we work and we do what we need to do but it's talking about the anxiety, they don't worry. And, and every season God looks after them and even in those seasons in some countries especially where there's no food available during the winter time, they're able to store, they have enough to take them through. God cares for them, how much more will he care for us? We have a father who loves us and who cares for us. So why do you worry about your clothing? About, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, these lilies of the field, they were velvet, little fla velvet flowers that just grew wild. And, and when you looked at the hillside, you see this velvet carpet. And you think, wow, that's magnificent. 
And, and, you know, Jesus said even Solomon in all his glory, you think about Solomon in all his glory, the, the temple that he built, you know, the gold and the timber and all the vestitures and all the, everything that was included in the temple, how magnificent it was. And the Queen of Sheba came to see the glory of it and said, the half was not told me. And yet look what God has done just in nature around us. And, and these, incidentally, these flowers, they were mowed down, gathered up, dried, and just put into the oven to, for a quick um, lift in temperature. When, when uh, you know, ladies were cooking, they would just use them as fuel for the fire. Think, wow, today it's here, tomorrow it's gone. God did that, God clothed them with such beauty. How much more will he care for us? And then he says, oh, you of little faith. Now there's a difference between having no faith and possessing little faith. What's the difference? People that have no faith, they're not believers. They haven't yet come to put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. But people that have little faith, they've taken Jesus as their Saviour, but somehow they, they haven't got to that place where they can trust him every day for their needs. Amen. So they worry, they get anxious, and, and um, that's what he's talking about there. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. In other words, those who don't know God. That's the sort of thing they talk about. And that's why, you know, the people that, that put the news on and the current affairs, they're Gentiles in that sense. That most of them are not born again. and They can only see things from the perspective of those who are without God. But your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now, the root word for worry is from the Greek verb merizo, meaning to draw in opposite directions. I've explained this word before. It's like taking a sheet of paper and ripping it in half. That's the meaning of the word worry. Half here, half there. To be anxious is to be constantly torn between trusting God on this side and placing confidence in our own resources, trying to work it all out with our minds and our, our own imaginations. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit teaches us to place our trust in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Jesus says, I know what you're, what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. And I want to change what's in your heart. I, I, want, I, want, I want to fill your heart. Like we just read, I want to fill your heart with, with a knowledge of God's love. Paul exhorts us, be anxious for nothing. Now, you can't just tell people, don't worry, that you've got to do something about that. So this is what we do. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, it's a peace you shouldn't be having under the circumstances. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Remember we started by saying, keep your heart with all diligence, guard your heart. That's how we do it. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Amen. And then we'll close with this. The second area, sorry, as, as, we, as we focus on God's love for us, Christ fills our hearts to overflowing, replacing anxiety with joy and a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Okay, then the last thing I want to share in this area of relationship conflict. I'm going to speak a little bit more about that next week. 
But forgiveness is the antidote to bitterness. We've got, so, so you've got a lot of bitterness and we, we all can accumulate that stuff there. We've all had bad experiences and sometimes don't know how to, how to dislodge the gunk that's there. Paul says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Here's the key, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That is the key. That is the key. That is the key. That's what I found is when I find it hard to forgive people, I just remember that parable that Jesus told in Matthew 18 when he was talking about forgiveness. He spoke about this man that had um, a debt of, now what, how many talents was it? Something like 30,000. I looked it up actually this week and it comes to something like 60 million denarii. Do you remember denarii is a day's, a day's pay? So you could, it's more than, it's the pay that you could not even accumulate in your lifetime. Okay. And so he had this debt of, of 60 million denarii and the king said, you've got to pay. And he fell down on his feet. He said, I can't pay, please. He said, he said this, be patient with me. What a dumb thing to say. You can't pay. What, what are you going to do? 60 million, you know, like, I mean, come on. Be patient with me. This is where I think a lot of people don't read that part. He, he actually thought he could repay. Just give me time. I'll work on it. In other words, think about spiritually. I do enough good that will cancel out my bad in the end. A lot of people think that way. And so the, the man had compassion on him, forgave him everything. Do you understand that, friends? God has forgiven you everything. Everything. He's, he's wiped the slate clean, forgiven. No more debt. Go your way. But that man went out and he found another man that owed him, um, a hundred, I think it's 100 denarii, which is about four months' salary. 100 denarii as it compared to 60 million denarii and he took him by the throat and said you give me everything you owe me now why would he do that why would he do that he obviously thought he still had to repay I, I start with you you owe me some money give me my hundred denarii that'll go towards my 60 million <laughs> so in other words he did not have a revelation that he'd been forgiven what we've got to focus on this and, and keep coming back to it, friends, because I tell you, people will try to be condemning you all the time and bringing up your past and bringing up your present failures and telling you you're not good enough and bringing guilt upon you and, and that guilt will stay in your heart unless you focus on what God has said, you are forgiven everything. It's all forgiven. This will never, ever be mentioned again. You're... you're Transgressions will never be mentioned again. Hallelujah. Now we can forgive others when we know we've been forgiven. It's easy. I find it easy. I find it hard until I go back and think, oh my goodness, you forgave me everything. This, this is such, such a crummy little thing in comparison to what you've forgiven me. Lord, I'm so sorry that I, you know, 
forgot how much you've forgiven me, how much you love me. Let, let him fill your heart. Let him flush out all the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the resentment, the worry, the anxiety. Let Christ fill your heart. Amen. I'm going to ask that we stand. Let's stand together. Let's just stand and just, if you want to hold your hands out a little bit to the Lord as we just stand for a moment. We're talking about wholeness and health from within that builds up a resistance to sickness and, 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 and brings our body back into divine order when it's out of kilter. Father, as we stand before, we, we thank you that Jesus has shown us that, he, that you have great compassion upon us. When you look at us, Lord, your people, you have great compassion upon the world we're living in, the, the, the circumstances we're living in, the situations we individually find ourselves in, the sicknesses we carry in our body, the struggles we carry in our mind and our emotions, the pain that we often hide from others, but we feel it acutely. And you know all about that, Lord. And this morning, we just want to say, we cast it all upon you. We cast it upon you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we will not allow anxiety, bitterness and unforgiveness and all those things fill our hearts they have no place in our hearts we flush them out lord by receiving your love and lord we know that that's not a work we just receive it by faith you said you love us with an everlasting unconditional love and we receive it now we consent to being loved this day lord i pray that this love will fill our hearts every moment of every day this week that we'll just feel more and more your love welling up within us. So that, Lord, you'll keep taking us back to those scriptures that remind us of how much you love us, that we'll cut off from our lives those things that are avenues of negativity and toxicity coming into our lives, that those things will be cut off, those avenues will be closed, and that, Lord, we'll just be open to the fountain of your love. Fill each one of us now, we pray, and may we then go out of this place and be a dispenser of love and goodness and kindness and peace and joy in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.